Well, over the next two weeks, I want to talk about wisdom. Now, it it seems like that should be a very easy idea to understand uh, for all of us. Uh, we we hear that word a lot. Uh, it it doesn't seem like a trick word or anything, but I think it's kind of tricky. And so we're actually going to look in Proverbs four uh, over the next two weeks. Uh, don't usually do that. Stay in one chapter for a couple of weeks, but it's kind of uh, going to be like a two-part sermon, not necessarily a series. Kind of going to give you half the sermon today and half next week, so you have to come back. That's just why I'm doing it again. <laughs> no, it just it just seemed like uh, it made sense. Um, but I want to give you something up front because let's just say you're here today and uh, you can't come back next week. Well, today there's one verse in Proverbs 4 that I'm really going to spend a lot of time on. It's Proverbs 4, verse 7. I'm going to read it at least at least twice, maybe three times. And then next week is Proverbs 4.23. And so just highlight those if you, if you do that in your Bibles or on your app. Uh, try to make a note of some kind, because if you don't hear anything else I say, you could probably just read those two verses, and you're going to have the main idea. Well, almost all of Proverbs is about wisdom, so we, we probably could have picked any one of them, really. I, I think this one just sets the framework for the rest of the book. And we're challenged to make wisdom the highest earthly priority, a treasure to go after. Solomon showed us what it looks like if we, if we don't do that. If we make other things a higher priority, then we will either be a, a rich or famous fool. That's what, how he lived much of his life, really uh, pursuing the wrong things. And so he's sharing out of, out of experience. And, and so we put wisdom at the very top, and then when those other things come, other, other blessings, uh, we actually know what to do with them. We know how to live. But there's a, there's a challenge. There really is. A, a, there's a couple of big challenges. The first one is, what is wisdom? Again, simple word, but do we really understand it? And how can we pursue something with so much intensity and passion and energy if we don't fully understand it? So that's my hope for today, is just to get a, a better understanding or to have a clear understanding for all of us of, as to what wisdom is when we walk out of here. Does it mean that we just study a lot? I think that could that should be part of it, but it's not necessarily the person with the highest IQ is the one that has the most wisdom. Oftentimes, the the one with the highest IQ is called the mocker, or the person is very bright but uses intelligence to mock God, make a mockery of things that matter most to God. We see that in the Bible with a lot of the religious leaders. The knowledge is having information. Gaining knowledge is gaining information, but wisdom is living the best we can with the information that we have. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to gain more information, gain, gain knowledge, study more. But with what you have, how are you living? Are you living well? There's another issue today that's keeping people from wisdom. There's a, there's a book called The Wisdom Pyramid, and the author, Brett McCracken, he, he shares this story in there. He writes this, he said in Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech at the 2018 Golden Globes, she said, What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. This is, this is what she said. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. He says, your truth? Those two words are so entrenched in our lexicon today that we hardly recognize them for the incoherent nightmare that they are. Among other things, the philosophy of your truth 
destroys families when a dad suddenly decides his truth is calling him to a new lover, a new family, or maybe even a new gender. It's a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one person's truth will go to battle with another person's truth, and devoid of reason, only power decides the victor. Your truth also puts an incredible self-justifying burden on the individual. If we, are all made, if we are all self-made projects whose destinies are wholly ours to discover and implement, life becomes a rat race of performance individuality. Live your truth autonomy is as exhausting as it is incoherent. Depression is the inevitable result, the inexplorable counterpart of the human being who is his or her own sovereign. Your truth is very dangerous. Why would we seek God's wisdom? Why would we seek God's truth if we can just make up our own and declare this is who we are? This is, this is what's right. It's a mess. That's what we're in right now. This, this isn't new. This kind of stuff's been going on for a long time. Maybe we just see it more because of forms of media and social media. The words uh, I'm about to read, though, appear from Solomon. And what he's doing is sharing what his father David taught him. So let's read some of it. Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 6. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her, she will watch over you. I'm going to pause there for a minute. These words here, what, what is Solomon talking about? The words that David gave him that he should hold on to, that he should cling to. Well, I think some of it he, he mentions in here to, to be obedient, but to what? Well, in, in 1 Kings chapter 2, we, we read, I think, what he was talking about. You, you hear a lot of things from someone. We listen to people. But I, I can only imagine that if someone on their deathbed gave you a charge and said, hey, this is what you really need to know, you're probably going to remember those words more than anything else. And that's exactly what happened. First Kings chapter 2, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I am about to go the way of all earth, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. All right, I'm going to stop there. I want to summarize what he just told him. What did, what did David tell Solomon? that if he would do this, this is living with wisdom. I think we can summarize it into obey God. He speaks so much of, of following the law. Trust God faithfully before me, he says, uh, or walk faithfully before me, and then love God with all their heart and soul. And so that's wisdom. That's, the wi that's, what, it meant. that's what it means whenever we read the word wisdom uh, up to this point. Now we're going to expand on it a little bit. But obey God, trust God, and love God. Pretty simple. It's not really what I always think of when I think of wisdom, though. Wisdom is not what we decide. We don't choose our path and just say that's probably what God wants. 
even though it's not in line with anything that I can see. If your path doesn't involve obedience or trust or love to God, then it's not wisdom. End of story. I'm pretty sure Solomon believed what his dad told him, even though he, he tested different areas uh, that he thought would bring him fulfillment and happiness and, and, and joy. When, when he was uh, offered basically one wish, whatever he wanted, what did he ask for? Wisdom. So I paused after verse 6 for a couple reasons. I wanted to share David's final words to his son, because I think that was really what this first part of the proverb was about. Um, but also, the next verse, I believe, is the most important. I told you that earlier, verse 7. So we're going to read it, I'm going to finish the proverb, and then I'm going to read verse 7 again, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit more. It says this, The beginning of wisdom is this, Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Instruct, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. That's, how, that's it. It's all about wisdom and how important it is. But verse 7 again, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Now that's kind of hard. That's a, a, a translation that it, it, it doesn't, I mean, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Well, if that's the beginning, how am I supposed to get it? Like, what's the starting point? What, what he's trying to tell, uh, tell us um, is that this is the most important thing to pursue. Until you make a decision to live in a, in a wise way, it doesn't happen. We probably don't give it a lot of credit. I think at least what I've, I've done, uh, I mean, as a kid especially, I thought, well, an old person is wise. An experienced person is wise. And then as you get older, uh, you start to talk to people who are maybe experienced and maybe older, and you think, well, they're not, they're not very wise. Now, I think, I think uh, an experienced and older person has the opportunity to be, to be more wise or to live in a way that uh, is, is showing this wisdom to others, but it doesn't just happen. And, and so what he's saying here is the first step, you have to make a decision. There's a, a parable, um, a modern-day parable, not in the Bible. T author Tim Chalice wrote this on his blog, um, and it's kind of lighthearted, but I think it really shows us what this is about. He said, a, a farmer's sheep and pig had escaped. Together they had found a weak rail in the fence and had pressed upon it until it broke under their weight. Seeing their opportunity, they quickly bolted from the field and began to explore their new and unfamiliar surroundings. It did not take long for the farmer to notice that two of his animals were missing and to set out to find them, but the animals had wandered far and had not left much of a trail behind them. Day soon turned to night, and after resting fitfully, he resumed his search in the morning. The animals had now been gone for more than 24 hours, and he began to wonder what could possibly have happened to them. It was in the afternoon on the second day that he began to hear a distant bleeding, the sound of a sheep crying out. He then began to follow the sound and as it led toward a nearby bog. It was there that he found his missing sheep and his missing pig. Both had fallen into a deep ditch. Both had become coated in muck, were unable to scramble out. But where the pig had been content to wallow in the mud, the sheep had known to bleat pathetically until the farmer had to come rescue it 
lift it out, and cleanse it. Then the farmer said, If you are ever deceived into sin and overtaken by a weakness, do not lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate Savior. Tell him in the simplest words the story of your fall and the sorrow you feel. Ask him to wash you at once and to restore your soul. For if a sheep and a sow fall into a ditch, the sow wallows in it, but the sheep bleats pathetically until she is cleansed by her master. Be the sheep, my friend, not the pig. Knowledge could be knowing that we're laying in the mud and we're filthy, we're living in our sin, we're still okay with it. We know better, doesn't mean we do anything about it. But wisdom is begging for cleanliness, never wanting to feel that way again, and really to stay out of the mud. Now, like he said, it will be costly. Sometimes we might be okay or even want to be in the mud a little bit. But wisdom tells us to do whatever it takes to avoid this, to stay away from it. We have a lot of examples in the Bible of wisdom. Joseph prepared for a major famine and saved many. Moses led Israel out of slavery. Bezalel designed and supervised construction of the tabernacle. Abigail managed her household well in spite of a pretty difficult husband. Daniel solved some pretty complex problems with God's help. Stephen organized the distribution of food to widows. Paul shared the gospel with anyone who would listen. Now, I share all these examples because I think sometimes we think, well, oh, a wise leader um, or someone who has authority. Now, in, in these examples, we have a planner. Um, maybe, a, maybe it'd be like an engineer. We have a, we have a leader. We have an artist designed, um, or maybe an architect is probably what we would call it today. We have a stay-at-home mom, and Abigail. All of these stories shows us that when we live through wisdom, when we live with wisdom, well, then uh, it's going to better ourselves, and it's going to better the people around us. And then, of course, there's the example of Jesus. Wisdom points us right to Jesus and the good news he lived out. Or does it? See, Paul shares a, a story that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, he tells us really that wisdom doesn't really look all that wise to the people around us. Maybe even to ourselves if we don't accept it. But it's, it's a little bit more challenging than we might think. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. I, w- I wanted to use the word wisdom. But to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of the world and the, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And he finishes this way. Remember, this is all about wisdom. What did it look like in the Old Testament? Then what do we see it looks like now? Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And so we read these phrases of obey God and trust God and love God. And now we see these three different words, righteousness, holiness, redemption. See, we can pursue these things not because they describe us. I know I'm not uh, holy. I'm not righteous. And I'm not redeemed through anything that I've done. But we can pursue these things because they've been offered to us through Jesus. We will fail, every one of us. If, if you think maybe you aren't wise, then these words are comfort, comforting. I mean, they, they should be describing all of us. If we don't feel that way, then, uh, then it's probably a lack of humility towards the need for a Savior. If you think you're wise, maybe, maybe there is some to, something to that. Maybe that experience in, in your age and you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're starting to look a little bit more like him, and that's a good thing. But we live in wisdom by obeying God because he offered forgiveness. We live in wisdom by trusting God and taking the old to the new right here because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we live in wisdom by loving God because he showed us that love on the cross. There's an example, there's a hope, there's a reason to live in wisdom. If I don't think that God can do a better uh, job at, at living my life for me or giving me guidance, if I feel like I can do better, well, then of course I should just do that. And then my truth should become my way of life. He's proven faithful and he's proven powerful and he's given us a reason to follow him. And so if we would quit focusing on how good we are and how good we can be and we just focus on Jesus, what he's done for us, at that point we might become more wise. See, wisdom is being so close to Jesus that nothing keeps us from building up his kingdom instead of ours. When Paul wrote about the cross and the church being the wisdom of God, yeah, of course, we're in a church now, so those things sound wise. But they didn't make sense at the time. Now, the cross wouldn't have made sense to the Greeks. How could Jesus, who claimed to be God in the flesh, die for his people? That doesn't make sense. The people should be dying for their God, right? That's what they thought. How about the church being the wisdom of God? The, the church, the, the people who were following Jesus, uh, pe uh, uneducated people who were uh, making what would appear to be not logical decisions, making sacrifices for, for a God who died for his people. Does, do people look at the world today as the, uh, or the, do people look at the church as the wisdom of God? Um, do people look to us? for answers to political problems and wars and economical issues. No, they want us to stay in our area. We're not looked at as the wisdom, uh, the place of wisdom. I know there have been many issues of, of uh, when people had too much power, um, religious people, that they abused it. And so I understand why people want to look away from the church as the answer. But if we were to follow Jesus and live out this wisdom, maybe people would start to look at us differently. There's just such a big difference between living for yourself, that's the word foolishness, how he uses that, or living for God, that's wisdom. It's difficult to notice it in our own lives. I know that. I'm sure I miss it all the time in putting myself before God. 
in putting my needs or my desires before what I really should be doing. But I think we can see it when we look at an extreme example. And so I, I want to look an, at an example. Um, Saddam Hussein. In 2002, so 20 years ago, there was an article written about him, and this is what it said. It was in the Atlantic by Mark Bowden. What does Saddam want? By all accounts, he is not interested in money. That's not the case with his family members. His wife is known to have gone on a million-dollar million dollar shopping sprees in New York and London back when they were in good relations with the West. His son drives expensive cars and wears custom-tailored suits of his own design. Saddam himself isn't a hedonist. He lives a well-regulated, somewhat existence. He seems far more interested in fame than money, desiring above all to be admired, remembered, and revered. A 19-volume official biography is mandatory reading for Iraqi government officials, and Saddam has also commissioned a six-hour film about his life called The Long Days, which was edited by Terrence Young, best known for directing three James Bond films. But Saddam told his official biographer he wasn't interested in what people think of him today, only in what they will think of him in 500, 500 years. I share this story because it's 20 years old, and I'll ask, what do people think about Saddam today? What, what, how'd, that, how'd that work for him? He was living for himself. He obviously wasn't following Jesus. But Jesus lived with wisdom, obedience, trust, love towards the Father, and how has he been remembered over the last 2,000 years? Now, the goal is for not, not for us to be remembered. It's not about us. But I wanted you to see the difference on an extreme level because we just slowly slide in that direction. I'm following God. I'm going to do everything to, to trust him. Wait, I can trust, I can trust him because things are going well, but now they're not, so I don't know if I want to trust him. And I can definitely obey him until I get to this situation or with this person. Then I'll, I'll obey him another time. I'll ask for forgiveness. And I sure want to love him, but man, I love myself. We just look, we can see it when we read about a person who did this on an extreme level, but do we really see it in our own lives? And so if you're ready to begin this journey, he tells us what to do. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, make the decision now. If you're at a point, maybe you'd be willing to give God a try. Um, would you look to, to Jesus and the wisdom he offers? He, he says exactly what to do as well. A, a different verse, he says, if, if you want to follow me, take up uh, anyone who wants to be my disciple, take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Again, he didn't give them direction. He just told them, make the decision, and you're going to make the decision every single day. If, uh, if you've already done this, if you've already decided to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, uh, then um, well, you got to come back next week. Because next week, again, it's, like it's going to be like the application to this. Um, it, it, I want to present challenges and, and try to take what we have done with this decision and, and, and how will we move forward with it. Well, it's not my words. It's the rest of Proverbs 4. And he tells us what, what's going to happen when you make this decision, the challenges, and what we should do about it. And so if you haven't made the decision, then... Today, I would ask that you make that first step. Uh, at least consider that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised to new life, and if we, want, uh, if we want this hope of eternity, if we want this new life beginning now, then we accept him as our Lord and Savior. So if you'd like to make that decision, please come talk to me after the service. Let's pray. 
Father, I, I thank you once again for, uh, for your words. Uh, we, uh, we can look through the Bible and see so many different stories. We can look into uh, some of these books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and, uh, and, and really take wisdom, uh, the things that we just maybe don't know how to, how to follow you. We, we want to, but we don't always get it. Uh, or we don't, we don't know the best way to apply some of your uh, teachings to us. And so I thank you that, um, that these words, uh, both from David to Solomon, Solomon um, uh, to the Israelites, and, um, and ultimately to us in our Bibles, I thank you so much that we have them. And I pray that you would give us wisdom. That you would, um, if, uh, we, if we haven't really pursued that or, or wanted that, wanted to love you and trust you and obey you, if we don't know about our, our redemption uh, with you, our salvation, I pray that you would just help us just to take the next step, whatever that looks like in our lives. We thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray.